Today's episode is sponsored by Global Specialized Safety Incorporated, globalssinc.com. That's globalssinc.com. Safe by choice, not by chance, for all of your safety needs. Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling in three, two, one. Today on the show, I have Dr. Kim Bynum, and she is a lady with more hats than the cat. You just can't even believe it. And I'm so happy to have her on. Dr. Kim Bynum, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I'm looking forward to it. Well, uh, it's uh, been great to have you on. I've been chasing you for a while, and I finally got you by the toe. not going to let you go. And uh, we found out that we have a ridiculous amount in common. Uh, so you are a Sandler trainer, uh, doctor of business administration, girl's got a PhD, look out, mechanical engineer, and you spent a long time as the chair of the board for Operation New Uniform, which is why I reached out to you. So Operation New Uniform, tell me, what is it? Why is it? Fantastic. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share about Operation New Uniform. It's pas- it's a, a passionate topic for me. ONU, Operation New Uniform, is a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission is to help veterans as they transition from the military to the next chapter in their life, speaking career-wise, right? Um, we are are dedicated to helping veterans, whether they transitioned out of the military 10 years ago and they're just feeling unfulfilled or underemployed or they want to pivot to a new industry, or um, if they're just on that cusp of making the transition and just don't know what they want to do next. So we we don't care where you're at in your transition journey. We want to be there to help. So why is transition so difficult? Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, as a 21 year Navy veteran, um, I know that for my own transition 2013, um, I, I really walked out of the military with, you know, an education, a lot of experience, some really cool sea stories and a lot of confidence. And I felt like, uh, you know, I felt like it was going to be a walk in the park to make this transition. It didn't dawn on me that I wouldn't be successful or as successful, uh, out in civilian world. So for me personally, making that transition, and I just, I kind of fell into my first job, J-O-B. I, I say that on purpose. It wasn't a career. Um, and, and I did that for four or five years, just kind of, you know, meandering through corporate to try to figure out what, do I, what did I want to do. And I never took the time to um, think about that as I was making that transition. Um, and, and for me, transition was difficult. I mean, think about it, Mark. It's not just transitioning from one job to another. It's I came home from after deploying and being gone all the time. I came home to a family that was used to me not being there, frankly. Um, You know, got two kids and a husband. That was stressful. 
uh, and then the the pressure to be able to provide for my family. I was the breadwinner. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. We'd had a steady paycheck every two weeks for two years or for 21 years. And I'm like, oh my God, what if I what if I can't do something and I can't make the money that I made in the military? So financial stressors, uh, marriage, relationships. I mean, there's so many things that I think go into transition that even if you're feeling great about yourself and you're confident, you can really shake it to your core. What about dealing with civilians in general? I mean, your your family is one thing because you're not they're not used to having you around so much, but civilians in general, how how did you find the transition personally? I will and remember I didn't have Operation New Uniform as a program to go through, so my transition was really rocky, which is why I'm so dedicated to uh, to this program and being a part of this nonprofit. Uh, but for me, I'm just going to be blunt. That's who I am. I. I came into that first career. I was, uh, you know, um, on a ship telling folks what to do, making things happen. Uh, when I spoke, people listened. And I went into local government for my first career. And you want to talk about civilians, like slow roll, slow speed, <laughs> clocking in eight, going home at three. They're not staying till 301. Mission and camaraderie and teamwork, uh, they're just like, hey, I'm just doing my job. I'm not everybody. I don't want to be unfair. But, you know, it's just a different mindset that they had. And I'm, I went in there like a bull in a china shop. I'm like, we got things to fix and things to do. And get your ass out there and do it. Here's your list of things to do. And I didn't say please. And they lost their minds. They're like, whoa, who is this creature that thinks they're going to walk in here and talk to us like this and expect this level of, of I don't know, intensity uh, I, I struggled and it was my struggle. I mean, they didn't, they shouldn't have to adapt to me. I, I really struggled with that. And why was I not as effective as a leader uh, in the local government department that I was trying to run as I was on my ship? It was really um, frustrating. One of the common, common things of people getting out of the military is they finally can't hold a job for shit. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that was definitely me. And what it is, it's not because of skill or talent or intelligence or ability. It's because of clash and uh, it can't be pushed. You know, it's like, hey, I've been actually shot at. <laughs> so uh, I'm just not too concerned uh, if somebody is uh, four inches taller than me and barking orders. I'm like, uh, you're going to have to have a little bit more respect than that, man, because uh, you're trying to intimidate me right now. Not going to happen. I'm not scared. Sorry. Yeah, and I, I think too, uh, for me, and I, maybe you've had this experience, Mark. Tell me if you have. But I, I really kind of walked around like I've done some really cool big stuff, and you're, you know, questioning me on X, Y, Z, or you're, you know, asking me to do this, you know, piddly whatever. Like that's small potatoes. And I, 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 don't, I wasn't trying to be arrogant, but I, I felt like they didn't understand what I brought to the table, um, and. I do want to address the fact that, you know, uh, the, the, the stereotype or the stigma of us military as we transition, not being able to hold down a job. And like you said, I think the important thing for employers and, and you know, us to know is I think there's a lot of reasons why that is because I did the same thing you did. I went, you can look at my resume, I kind of job hopped, you know, trying to find that fit. Um, but it was, it was clash. It was, I didn't even think about the jobs I was taking. I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. Yeah, I'll go do that. So I wasn't like trying to do anything that I wanted to be doing. Because in the Navy, I, I just, where they told you to go, right? They told you to, you know, 
go here, you went, <clears throat> you went there, you know, vice versa. So um, to have a choice was a little bit daunting. It is. And <laughs> the pace that was one of the jobs I got fired from. I was a vice president of an oil company. And uh, uh, the way he said it to me, he's like, Mark, you're at like 100 miles an hour. And I'm at like 15. <laughs> like, what, what are we waiting for here? But, <laughs> but uh, uh, part of what it is, though, uh, for, for myself is I didn't know I had PTSD at the time. And I didn't know that, uh, that part of that is emotional overwhelm. So uh, I would be, if I was intimidated or, or feeling uh, insecure in some way, which in a brand new job everybody does for the first little bit, I would compensate by going too fast. And uh, I just didn't have the situational awareness of what was going on around me. And that's exactly, uh, and that's where that clash comes from. That's what you were experiencing is that your situational awareness, it's like, you, you didn't, you know that you're not in the Navy anymore, but you didn't know that you weren't in the Navy anymore, you know? And so true. <laughs> that's the challenge. What are some of the transferable skills? I, I was an infantier and uh, so I hear all the time, well, I don't have any transferable skills. That so drives me nuts when I hear that. What are you, what do you think are some of the inherent transferable skills that people undersell? I, you know, and that is the crux, I think, of the struggle of our transition in a lot of cases. Like you said, uh, you you had your career. My husband blew up tanks. He was a Marine in, in the Gulf War and blew up tanks. And he's like, I've got, I've got no transferable skills. And I hear that uh, regardless of rank, rate, you know, which branch of service, we come out thinking that the things that we did don't translate well into this, you know, corporate culture or entrepreneurial culture, but it couldn't be further from the truth because as I've been out on this side of it and become a career transition expert by speaking uh, with HR folks and, and hiring managers and CEOs of companies, they're desperate for the translatable skills, the, what the military veteran brings to the table because they're, we can learn any skill. We can learn any job. We can learn the task because we've proven that over and over again. If you're like me, you, you got thrown into a new job every three years. You had no idea what you were doing and you rocked it. So the, I think on the, on that side of it, what they know and what we haven't realized as we're going through our transition is it's things like being able to develop and build a team and work in a team environment, the integrity. We talk about our intensity and maybe we're going too fast. But that, um, you know, that never quit. Find a solution. Don't just roll over, you know, when there's a problem, but just, you know, attack it head on. Those, I think, intangible um, skill sets. And a lot of times I'll hear HR folks say soft skills, um, which I think is funny that that the term is soft skills that we bring to the table, but it's the ability to communicate. Now, I I may be a little, I wasn't self-aware enough to know that the, my communication style was not appropriate for that particular environment, um, but I certainly had the ability to have tough conversations, to get, you know, cut through the, the, the BS or the, the drama to get to solution of problems. I believe that that's the translatable skills, the leadership, the team building, uh, the ability to communicate um, tough stuff sometimes in a in an honest, forthright manner, uh, and integrity, work ethic. I mean, God, 
now that I've been out in this world, just showing up on time every day is puts people head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, it's it's a little bit ridiculous to me sometimes. If you're not early, you're late. Exactly. It, listening carefully to some of the um, transferable skills that you're describing, it sounds a lot like leadership skills. And I think that might be part of the issue too, because uh, you're the wolf coming in to live with the sheep. And, uh, and that is not a derogatory. I apologize to uh, anybody who is not a sheepdog out there. Um, but when you are the wolf coming to live with a sheep, um, th- that's, what, that, that's what it is. And I think that any job can be a problem because of that and cause stress. And at peer support groups, I hear people about job-related stress. It's always the same thing. People are just not measuring up. I can't trust them. I, they don't have my back. Um, uh, or being treated with, with disrespect or, or, or putting the bar too low or not uh, being in problem-solving mode. These are uh, frustrations that are simply too much for some people. And, uh, and, and then that frustration is there. And even if you can keep your job, you're not going to enjoy it. So it has me thinking that entrepreneurism is really one of the best routes for, for anybody get, leaving the military, that their own business is probably the best place for them to land. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I think it's hard to speak in absolutes, but what I found uh, after, you know, ONU has been around since 2014. We've served probably 15,000 veterans and graduated 350 from the actual program. And what I found is entrepreneurialism is a huge draw um, for for the veteran because of all the things that you just said if they stop to think about it, right? If they stop to think about what do I want my life to look like in my next career to be happy and they're, they're aware enough to do that, you, you'll see a lot of folks that are going to step out into their own businesses or a franchise or, you know, consulting or whatever it is that floats their boat. But I think the more important thing that um, would help veterans to have a better transition is think about what do you want your life to look like? Do you, some people don't want to really leave the comfort of that whole military environment. They love the thought of staying in contracting with department of defense and working with a bunch of retired, you know, military or whatever, because they, they want that structure. They want that sameness. I was the opposite. I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with the military after 21 years. I'm going to start fresh. I'm not even going to go back to my base and go to my commissary or exchange. (laughs) Um, But, but my point is, is that taking that, that time to think about, what do I need? Do I need to work at like a big, huge IBM where it's a bunch of, you know, I don't want to be derogatory either, but in my mind, I was like, that I would die, a bunch of robots doing, you know, cogs in the machine. <laughs> um, but I didn't think about that during my transition, Mark. I just fell into wherever instead of realizing, which I've realized now, I have to be, I have to be my own boss. I'm not going to punch a time clock. I have to be able to have a short time between identifying a problem and being able to take steps to, to fix the problem. So I, I was super drawn to when I finally figured it out, having my own business or creating a space where I worked, where the people that worked, you know, that I worked for knew I got to have autonomy. I got to have freedom to go and, and do this. And I'm still, I'm still working on that whole sheep and wolf thing, you know, and not being too, uh, whoever I am, but 
all I, all I say is I do believe that entrepreneurialism is a great way for folks, uh, especially in that mindset to, to step out, but they got to be confident, right? And they got to be uh, willing to do that work and, and learn because we don't know how, I didn't know how to start a business after being in the military. So it's a steep learning curve. Um, so I think you're right on that. It, it's really a powerful realm, but I don't see enough veterans take it as a serious consideration because they're comfortable. They want to do what they did in the military. They want to stay with what they know. So give me sort of a 30,000 foot view of the training that is provided by Operation New Uniform. Okay. Yeah. It's so bottom line is it is a two and a half week course. You're in a small group with eight to 12 folks uh, that, you know, for, for whatever reason, we don't recruit this way, but typically it tends to be our senior enlisted and, and officers. We've had E4s, we've had flag officers. It does, it doesn't matter, but the crux is typically around that. The, the course is uh, really meant to walk you through a journey of transition. And so the first couple of days, we are all in your head. We're getting in your head and helping you understand and be aware that this is going to be a transition and it is going to require you to adapt and for you to uh, be aware and and adapt if you need to, right? Um, And then after we do that, we really get into the psychology of selling, which is you and I are both Sandler trained. This ONU is proprietary training material, but it's based on Sandler. Dave Madsen, the CEO of Sandler, actually donates this material to us. Uh, he's a big supporter of veterans. And uh, so we dive into, like you, like we were talking about before we started the podcast, personality styles, knowing who you are, knowing who other people are. Why? So you can know how to communicate with them. So you can be aware of your own crap that you may be projecting onto other people, because if you can't build trust with somebody and you do that by understanding who they are and how to communicate with them, then you can't get into those, those next parts of selling yourself, which is helping them understand who you are, what you bring to the table that could potentially solve the organization's issue or challenge that they're hiring you for in the first place. And then of course we finish up with the traditional uh, career transition stuff and resume writing and interviewing skills. Um, but, but we, in 30 second elevator pitch. So it's just really meant to walk a, a veteran through and give them that time for introspection, self-reflection before they just jump into the next career. Take a moment to think about what do they need their life to look like to be fulfilled. I was doing something similar, and I never got off the ground when I was at Sandler, um, offering for veterans. And the idea was, well, let's get somebody in here at uh, at a massive discount, put them, put put them through foundations at least, right. and because um, that would set you up <laughs> so well. I mean, really, as as we know, somebody should go through the foundations and then another year or two uh, for it to really stick. But even just the foundations is, um, it's something, you know. Well, if you, and if you don't mind me sharing a funny story, because it, Mark, you know, we were talking about how we've got all this in common. But 2014, when ONU started, that's exactly how this program started. Um, the Northeast franchise up here in Jacksonville, they, they weren't veterans themselves, but they wanted to give back to the veteran community. Jacksonville, Florida is a huge military town, Northeast Florida with all of our bases and even uh, South Georgia. Anyway, they wanted to scholar a veteran through the program. And so they went and found one. And um, he came through foundations, came through the program, came through you know the follow-on. And after about six months, uh, the Sandler owners were like, hey, 
you are doing amazing veteran. What do you want to do? We'll connect you. We'll help you network. We'll help you get whatever career you want. And what he said to them was this. He said, I want every veteran that I know to get taught what you taught me through this Sandler training, but I don't want them to have to pay for it. Yeah. And that is exactly how ONU was born with Michelle McManaman. Yep. Some of the pushback I got when I was trying to get it going um, in <laughs> in Edmonton, with there was a lot, so much suspicion within the uh, veteran community. They thought um, uh, I was trying to run some. Some people <laughs> thought that I was trying to run some sort of scam. Did you run into any uh, silliness like that? I think it's a great point because what you're talking about is oh, just froze on me. Hang on, that skepticism of hey. What are you really trying to do here? What are you really trying to sell me? Yeah. Well, and the... So, uh, you know, go ahead. <laughs> well, it, uh, in the military in particular, and also in the trades, I, I notice it, the, the fear of salespeople, right? So the idea of sales training, um, it instantly invokes those images of the greasy, slimy, grubby, when uh, Sandler is exactly the opposite, <laughs> Right. I mean, we certainly don't tell any of our veterans, you're coming to sales training. They'd run away screaming uh, because they don't, we're all thinking of that traditional used car salesman kind of stuff. But what I, what I would say is I believe that because it was a veteran that got scholared through uh, and it was word of mouth, it's still word of mouth, Mark, who are veterans going to trust? They're going to trust other veterans. So yeah. in the beginning, it was kind of a slow roll. And then when we had the results and the impact, as you know, this training changes your life um, and had the impact and more veterans heard about it. I don't, you know, now I, we just have applications that roll in. Why? Because veterans are, are talking to other veterans in, in different networking arenas, LinkedIn. And I can't tell you how many people have said, oh yeah, a buddy told me about ONU and said, I've got to do this. That garners the trust. And I, I liken that to think about even a professional, like a professional sports person, an NFL player or, you know, whoever, they, they probably feel the same way that someone's always trying to get one over on them, right? Because they took off, they're taking off their uniform trying to find a new career, right? And nobody knows who they are. Nobody cares that they were the, you know, quarterback, unless maybe if you're Tim Tebow. But veterans, I think, go through that same thing of uh, we take our uniform off. People don't treat us the same. Right. And so we get real distrustful real fast or real skeptical real fast because all those rules that we kind of knew that we played by in the military, that's all gone. So you're kind of like, whoa, what do you want? What are you doing? You know, what do you want from me? Do you have uh, with ONU, is there a peer support component to it? Absolutely. And I and you've said peer support a couple of times and I can't tell you how important that is. And I, I really believe that that's part of what separates ONU from maybe some other transitioning programs. Yes, the peer support is absolutely crucial. That team that they go through in their own class is becomes their family. We tell them that they are our family forever. We follow folks through. It's not like once you graduate after your two and a half weeks, you don't hear from us. We have uh, events four times a year where our alum come back. Um, and, and, you know, kind of join and mix and mingle. We have a weekly meeting where it's whoever's actively seeking and going through the program at the time 
But our former alum are on there in full force. As an example, uh, our next class, class 40 actually starts tomorrow. Well, we had a weekly, our weekly Zoom meeting and I had more people, more alum come back to support this new class starting and share with them their experience and uh, network with them and say, connect with me. It, that peer support is, and you know this, I'm preaching to the choir, is an absolutely critical component to what we do because they learn more from each other really than they do from the program sometimes. And they have each other from here on out as that support network. Uh, you know, Michelle and I can can talk to so many, but now that we've gotten our numbers up, we're relying on our, our alum and our ambassadors to really wrap around and reach around and, and take the new folks in their fold. So yeah, peer support is critical. It is powerful and it is also dangerous because uh, peer support done peer, uh, poorly uh, can do harm. It's called sanctuary trauma because you're going to, you know, I think I'm safe here. I think it's good. And then if you feel judged or diminished in, in some way, it's really, really bad. Then it puts you into isolation. Isolation causes pain. And then you go down the dark hole. So uh, what are some of the do's and don'ts of peer support that, uh, that you follow? What, what would you see as the top three do's and don'ts, give or take? Um, I would say the top one is, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, the top one is don't try to solve a problem that you're not equipped, trained to deal with, right? We, we really are proponents of plugging folks into the right resources to help them and building that network, providing that network and educating on that network um, so that we give people the right resources. So we would, we would tell all of our ONU folks, they go through, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Firewatch, but here in, in Northeast Florida, the Firewatch is all about suicide prevention and they provide training. We all become watchstanders. And so that's some training that every ONU vet goes through. Uh, Cause I think it's that important to be able to, do that initial response correctly uh, if you've got a buddy that's in trouble. But understanding when it's above and beyond what you are able to do and what you're able to help and how you can, you know, uh, effectively help that person is by getting them to the right place, whether that's, you know, 911 or whether that's uh, a counseling, a therapy, a mental health uh, place, whether that's um, marriage counseling, um, whatever that is. I mean, sometimes you're right, peer support can, can end up being um, detrimental if we try to do things and fix things that we're not, you know, trained for, qualified for, capable of emotionally handling. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the uh, interesting things, because I've been out so damn long, I've been out forever, uh, is that I see phases that people go through. And uh, the phase that you mentioned is like, as soon as I got out, I wanted nothing to do with the military. Like, I know that feeling. You know, uh, there's something called the supplemental ready reserve, which is like uh, the standby you prayed once a year. And when people get out of the regs, some t- people join the supplement. And I'm like, nope, when I'm out, I'm not turning a career into a hobby. Out is out. <laughs> you know, I don't want to keep one little toe in the water. And, um, uh, but then years later, uh, the nostalgia starts to kick in and uh, you start to yearn for uh, for that companionship again. And the, then I find the people start coming back. But when you first get out, it can be a very dark place because uh, the, the people that you just walked away from, they're like, well, you left. So see ya. Unless you, unless you timed out, you know, it was a, it was a retirement kind of thing. But if you left mid career, uh, they want nothing to do with you quite often. 
<laughs> yeah, not, and, you know, not and, for and years, that, but years later they do. But uh, yeah, you're out. And I think that um, whether you kind of got put out and you feel that, or you you know you just kind of draw that line in the sand and say I don't want anything to do with the military, both of those roads lead to that isolation yeah. and just feeling very alone. Um, you know, and and so I I think about that, and I think the danger is is that we go through that dark place. Um, and we have these issues, but we think we're the only person that's felt like that. You know, we think we're the only person that's like, where's all, where's my team? Like I got, you know, they don't care. I'm out and they don't care anymore. Um, or you just didn't even, I didn't even know how much I took for granted that family that was, you know, who I was stationed with or who I was deploying with. I, I took that for granted. And then when it wasn't there anymore, I'm, I'm like, what's missing? Like this huge piece of who I am is no longer there. And like, you know, like I was saying, I think that leads to that kind of isolation and despair. Now, if you put that on top of, um, you know, PTSD or MST or any other kind of trauma, of course, that's going to, you know, that could potentially spiral even faster and accelerate the, that, that feeling of despair. The um, sense of being alone, it is dark. When I first went to college, I just got out of a war. <laughs> I was in a war in 94, got out in 95, and um, I was in college in 96. So I stuck out, and I was rampant with PTSD. Didn't know it. You know, I I mean, I recognize, okay, this is crazy hypervigilance, and I'm uh, doing scenarios in my head all day, every day, but I didn't know that that was called hypervigilance. I just knew that I couldn't stop shooting people in my head. <laughs> you know, it's like, and bad guy assessment, bad guy threat assessment, threat assessment. Um, it's, uh, it's a tough, tough go. But um, that's where the Royal Canadian Legion uh, that we have up here was born after World War II, because the idea is, that, well, we'll just give them a place to drink. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you know uh there there was some efficacy there um yeah. but now that legion is dying because uh turns out that having a place to drink is uh it's got as much downside as upside so <laughs> as a guy that hasn't had a drink in about a year um <laughs> but it's that sense of community you know it just it just wasn't the best environment for it um, and that sense of community is what I'm trying to do, uh, part of what I'm trying to do with Tango Romeo. You know, so it doesn't matter if you're American, Brit, Canadian, it doesn't matter. We're all, <laughs> if you served, you get it. Yes. You, you just get it. You know, uh, you were an officer, I was a corporal, doesn't matter. You know, it matters when you're in. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter when you're out. Not a bit. Not a bit. And, um, uh, but that, that camaraderie though. You know, it's uh, getting that in a healthy way, in, in, a, in an environment where it's uh, supportive and it's good. Uh, that's, that's the trick, I think. I agree. And I think that creating that safe space, that safe environment where people feel okay with coming forward with their vulnerabilities and what they're going through and what they're feeling. And I believe that that starts with, with us, we're willing to talk about it. We're willing to share. And when people see that, hey, you know, they're doing okay and, and they're telling me that they're going through X, Y, or Z, um, then that trust is there and then they can kind of reciprocate. Um, and, and they know that you're going to have, have their back and kind of call them on their BS and reach out when, when they don't 
you know, stay in touch. I've got a couple of my folks like that. They know they're like, Hey, I didn't answer your call, but I so appreciate you reaching out and checking in on me. I'm like, and I'm never going to stop. It doesn't matter if you never answer my call, you're going to know that I'm thinking about you. Well, and it's a bit of an extreme example, but, uh, a friend of mine, uh, once shared with me a story of he had a gun in his mouth and then because cell phones nowadays, you can see who's calling. So he, it, it's in his mouth. He's about to pull the trigger and then beep, boop, beep, boop. And he looks, looks over and it's his buddy calling. And you're like, well, I, you know, I got to answer the phone. <laughs> and he's still alive, you know. Wow. And, um, uh, but it, it's, we hear all the time, call me if you need to talk. That doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't happen. You got to reach out. If you, if you know somebody's going dark, go to their house, get yep. them out of the house, go for a walk, go do whatever it is that they like to do. I don't care if it's bowling, archery, walking the dog, do something, get on the yeah. motorcycle. But uh, it's on the rest of us to go get them out of the house. And uh it just snaps you out of that, uh, out of that funk, out of that dark place. It snaps you out, and um, and you don't have to solve anything. Just be there. No, it's all you got to do. Exactly. Just be there. Yeah, and I think that it's because of that human connection. Uh, and I, I can only imagine, you know, with COVID uh, that we went through and are still going through. I know some parts of the country are even more still locked down than we are here in Florida. But that human connection is so vital and so important that just sharing space and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, solve the world's problems, but just that shared space of, of somebody knowing that there's another body there that, that knows you're alive and cares about you can make all the difference in the world. And that's time consuming, right? I mean, that for, for on the flip side, um, I think a lot of people don't do it because they're they're either they're too busy or they don't want to expend that emotional energy on another human being. And that's why what you were saying, I don't find that to be the case in the veteran space too much. We all we know our own demons and so we go out of our way to make ourselves available and, and give our time. Um, and there are so many people that, that have gathered together in the veteran space to do just that, that, that to be available for people that need it. So for Operation New Uniform, what is your service area? Like how big is your reach? So we used to only be an in-person class here in Jacksonville and COVID changed that. We were, we were scared to be honest with you that our business model wouldn't work if we were teaching via, you know, digital platform like Zoom. Uh, But COVID forced us into it. And so we decided, okay, we'll do an experiment. We'll pick one veteran. And we did a hybrid. So everybody else was in class. We had this one person on Zoom, kind of picked the person that was real bubbly and outgoing that we thought would still connect and and participate uh, on the Zoom platform and found, wow, the impact was still there. She got the message. She got the what we were trying to go for and, and the impact to her life was still there. So we ended up expanding that. So now all of our classes are hybrid. We have, um, you know, half of the folks are, are in the area and then the other half are all Zoom. And so our reach has become national like that. And just in the last three classes, we've got folks from Washington State, California, Maryland, New York, uh, North Carolina. So we've gone national pretty quickly. We are working to uh, expand our, our brick and mortar as well. 
We'll be in Tampa this year for the first time, having an on-site program in Tampa, and then are looking to move to Texas um, the following year. So the reach is anybody that has a computer, uh, and even if you don't go through our two-and-a-half-week program, we spend a lot of time with veterans just providing resources, help, however we can do it. Um, but we're really excited that that we've gone to this national reach and are using the technology and then it's working, you know, it's how we keep in touch even when we live eight miles away. So it's been, it's been really powerful. Dr. Kim Bynum, thank you for your service and thank you for your continued service with Operation New Uniform. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Dango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.